The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. Today I want to talk about an issue that is becoming pervasive in our society, is becoming critical in terms of teaching our children uh, real truths about biology, about gender um, identity, about uh, sexuality, about uh, this left-wing ideology that um, teachers are bringing to the classroom that businesses are promoting in various ways, shapes, and forms. But Hollywood is sort of pushing down the throat of many uh, people in this country, the vast majority of people who don't agree with their ideology on gender equity or whatever term they want to use these days. But I want to bring forth a very important figure that is fighting against this craziness that's happening in our society. His name is Matt Walsh, and he has been going around the country talking to various people about their perspectives on this issue on both sides, trying to find out what is going on, how it happened, where it started, and where it's going, all those issues. And he actually has put together a documentary and he asks a very simple question that he tries to get an answer to. What is a woman? Now, that may seem like a crazy thing to try to define since we all know what a man and a woman are. But in today's society, there is a mixture of what's going on, that there's multiple uh, sexual identities, that the difference between your biological sex and what you determine you want to be today or tomorrow, and then how we are doing that with children with sex-affirming surgeries of trying to change their sex, allowing children without their parents' consent uh, to make these changes is this kind of wacky, but people uh, like Matt Walsh are pushing back on this. And so I want to give him uh, time on the program this, uh, this week to really talk about it because while many of our listeners out there say, well, you know, let people be people and do it their own thing, that would be fine if that's where it ended. But it's not ended there, because now, as we'll see in some of the examples that he lays out, um, Canada has a law that criminalizes the idea of not using the right gender, of you're, you're, you're creating violence, you're abusing your children if you're not allowing them to have sex change at age 10, 12, 14, 16, or at least before they're an adult to make other decisions, at least age 18. Um, in the United States, people are afraid to speak out because they're they're identified as being a, a homophobe or they're anti-LBGTQ+. Um, and uh, it's destroying people's careers. It's destroying their, destroying their jobs. It's destroying their families. And so this is an issue we all are going to need to face on an individual basis. If you're in a current sort of bubble uh, that, um, you know, you're protected from all this, that maybe your state has passed laws that said, no, we're not going to, allow our children to be abused in this way, that's great. But many areas in this country um, are going the opposite way and uh, and uh, making it a crime not to call people by um, a he or she when he or she is not a he or she, the opposite. So I want to talk about um, this uh, individual, uh, Matt Walsh. He's been talking on campuses. And, Matt, I want you to sort of lay out the beginning um, explanation for our audience today 
about what your role has been and at universities, what have you find in terms of many of the administration's uh, view when you're coming on campus to talk about this and sort of explain where you think they're coming from and where you're coming from just to create a little bit of a foundation uh, for this hour's discussion. Now, needless to say, everything the university said about affirming and celebrating the spectrum of perspectives is total nonsense. What they mean to say is that they affirm and celebrate the spectrum of perspectives that ranges from crazy left-wing to crazier left-wing. It's that specific part of the spectrum that they're most interested in affirming. My spot on the spectrum is anathema. And to be clear, I don't fall on the right side of the spectrum when it comes to this issue. In fact, what I have to say on the topic isn't really my perspective at all. It's just the simple truth. It's simple, basic, biological truth. That's it. So, Mr. Walsh, give us a specific example of the pushback that you've had when you've tried to speak on campuses about this issue. What 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 kind of reception have you gotten from the students and or the administration of, I understand you were at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. What happened there? Reality itself is unwelcome. And indeed, UW-Madison, by telling a bunch of delusional militant psychos who are already defacing property that my very presence and perspective is harmful, the university, one could argue, is inciting violence against me. Certainly a much, a much better argument could be made that they are inciting violence against me than that I am somehow inciting violence against trans people by asking what is a woman. So, Mr. Walsh, you you have not backed down. I mean, a lot of people are afraid to speak out, and you've gone the opposite route. You say truth is truth, and I'll speak it, and anybody who tries to shut me down, I'll speak it even louder. So tell me a little bit more about the way you have um, responded, the way you feel about these uh, uh, crazy uh, students that are out there, but even more so uh, what you feel about the administration it seems to back uh, those people who don't want to face truths. I would like to just say to the UW-Madison administration, you should be ashamed of yourselves. You are disgraceful, self-debasing cowards. And you spineless, gutless clowns owe me an apology. Okay, so now that we got some of the fireworks out of the way and your experiences at college campuses and University of Wisconsin at Madison, uh, one of the more liberal colleges in the entire country, um, that interaction that you had with them. Um, why don't we um, start this whole discussion really uh, about what is your position on things like gender ideology and and uh, sex changes that are going on? And ultimately, I want to talk about the impact uh, that you believe is uh, uh, child abuse and um, should not be uh, surgeries that should not be performed on our children. With, certainly without parent consent. So tell us what your position is on all this. Uh, I just want to state my own position. This is the one that is so harmful and dangerous and which one must escape by hiding in a bomb shelter. I believe, just as nearly all human beings who have ever lived have believed, that a man is an adult human male and a woman is an adult human female. A male is the sex that produces sperm or male reproductive cells while a female is the sex that produces ova, or eggs, or the female reproductive cells. 
A female is that member of the human species who by her nature can become pregnant, while a male is the member of the human species who by his nature can impregnate the female. These are the two categories. There are no other categories that exist on Earth. So you say there's only a male and a female, but we know in our culture today, we hear it in the news, we hear it in the movies, we hear it all across the uh, uh, mainstream media and through other programming, uh, through other teachers, through other politicians, that they're not just male and female, that there are these other categories, which I don't understand. So maybe you can uh, tell us what it is that other people are saying when they say uh, it's uh, non-binary, what does that mean uh, from your research? Even those who profess to believe in a non-binary system still cannot tell you what the third or fourth or fifth sexes are. And that's because no such sexes exist. There are only male gametes and female gametes. Males and females, men and women. This is all that exists in our species. It's not complicated. It's not confusing which is why nobody ever was confused by it until about eight seconds ago. So, um, Dr. Walsh, the, the general social contract, for lack of a better term, would be that these days we accept other people's definitions, other people's reality, other people's opinion, kind of live and let live society these days, and everything is relative, there's no absolute. So um, why do you oppose gender uh, ideology uh, in the current state of our um, of our society. I oppose gender ideology, therefore, because it is not true. I oppose all things that are not true. How stridently or forcefully I oppose them really depends on how stridently or forcefully they are asserted. Well, let me jump in here. What does that mean that you oppose something um, based upon how strongly their argument is presented? Um, I know you spent a good bit of your life and you're sort of at the focal point, the spearhead of this argument and this fight against gender ideology. So what is it that um, makes you fight so fiercely against this, given you're saying it depends upon how strongly somebody um, puts out an untruth uh, that you need to respond in certain ways? If somebody comes along claiming that a, a circle is a shape with four equal straight sides and four right angles... I will simply say, no, that's a square. Squares are not circles. You moron. Now, I don't think that I would give any uh, lectures on the subject. I don't think I would make a, a documentary about it. But if there were to suddenly arise a well-coordinated and well-funded movement to convince the world that geometry is fluid and that, and that uh, squares are circles and circles are squares, and if this movement captured the minds of millions of people, especially young people, then I'd probably make a film called What is a Square? And I'd spend lots of time engaging on the topic. Because I live in reality, and in reality, squares are squares and circles are circles, circles, and it's worth defending reality for its own sake. Okay, so you say reality is, is important to you. It's important to most of us that live in the real world, if you will. So this may sound like a really stupid question, but what's, what's the harm of certain people not living in the world of reality. Many bad things follow from a collective flight from reality, and the consequences are more and more dire the more deeply the untruth burrows into the mind and into the culture. The untruth at the core of gender ideology, of the transgender phenomenon, reaches down to the deepest conceivable level. 
Gender ideology wages its assault against our knowledge of ourselves. A person fully enthralled to this lunacy has lost his grip on not just reality in general, but on the reality of himself. Gender ideology doesn't simply replace one notion of the self with some other newer notion. Rather, it replaces one notion of the self with no notion at all. And that's the whole reason why the gender ideologue cannot answer the what is a woman question and cannot name any of the other sexes besides male and female despite despite claiming that there are countless others. That's because he seeks to replace what is definable and knowable with this hazy, indecipherable mess of contradictions and falsehoods. He replaces light with darkness. And soon he gets lost in it himself. That's the tragedy of it. And he'll probably succumb to despair, and in a large percentage of cases, he succumbs to suicide. That's because a person cannot live in such a state. He certainly cannot thrive or be happy in it. That's why I oppose gender ideology. Well, Mr. Walsh, you certainly um, staked out your position in opposition to the gender ideology that has been a big concern for especially many mothers and worried about what their children are being taught in school. But don't leave out the fathers who are concerned about the distortion of their little boy or the little girl's uh, thinking as they're going uh, through uh, puberty or trying to find themselves instead of wondering, okay, are they going to change, uh, want to change from being a boy to a girl? Is somebody going to make, make this happen uh, against my will? Are they being taught stuff that is totally contrary uh, to my beliefs, my principles uh, that uh, this family holds. So um, you've laid out the foundation. I hope our audience finds this an interesting topic because it's going to affect their lives one way or the other ultimately. And and so I want to continue this discussion in the next segment. So if you hold on just a second, let's go and have a commercial break, and we'll be right back with uh, Matt Walsh and the discussion of uh, gender ideology and uh, the sex changes that are going on in this country uh, with young people. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you are listening to Healthcare Insight. Um, the last segment, we talked to a gentleman, um, Matt Walsh, who has his own TV program, his own podcast. He's a uh, well-known speaker on campuses, and his number one issue that has sort of brought him to the forefront in many people's minds is his uh, discussion and his pushback against the uh, gender ideology that's sort of sweeping the country in so many different ways. He thinks it's dangerous. He thinks it's uh, 
it's not even based on any science or truism, and it works against what we have known uh, be differences between men and women for uh, the existence of time. Uh, only up until the last couple of years has there been some sort of confusion, and that confusion seems to be being inculcated uh, into our school systems, into our children, into our daily lives, and people who ask questions about it, who oppose the kind of um, position where there's no difference between males and females. If you're a male, you can become a female and vice versa. You can do it through surgery, or you can just say, I identify as a male or female if you're the opposite. And it denies what your your birth sexuality is and says it really doesn't matter. That's just an assignment uh, by society on you. And he speaks very uh, fervently against it. So I want to ask him in this segment, what does the other side say when uh, they push back at you saying, no, there's only male and female, that's biology, that's truth, and you can't distort truth, you can't make me say something that's untrue just because you're going to demonize me if I don't say the truth or if I push back on you. What does the other side say um, against you and have classified you as being so harmful to society and being hurtful to the LBGTQ plus uh, population? I'll run through the most common objections that gender ideologues make to the points that I've raised, and, uh, and I want to respond to them now ahead of time. I'll offer these rebuttals even though the burden of proof really isn't on me. And this is an important subject. This is an important point. The burden of proof is on the other side when it comes to this. Because everyone in the world for all of history has believed that men are men and women are women. So if you're coming along to deny what everyone in the world has always known to be the case, um, you are the one who has to prove that assertion. You are denying what everyone has always known to be true. That's the burden of proof. So when someone says that men can have babies or that sex is not binary or that a man might have a woman trapped mysteriously in his body, it's up to that person to explain his reasoning and present his evidence. Too often we allow that side to shift the burden of proof back to us where it doesn't belong. Okay, Mr. Walsh, let's go through the objections to your belief that, you know, there's a men and a women, there's only uh, two sexes. And the other side is saying, no, that's not true. So what what are their objections to you as you try to push back with them and state what um, the truth really is, the science really is? What are their objections? Let's take the first one. Objection one. The, side, the other side will say, well, you talk about sex and gender like they're the same thing, but they're not. Sex is biological, but gender is a person's understanding or feeling about himself. Answer to that, no, I don't think that sex and gender are the same thing. It's you, the gender ideologue, who has essentially collapsed the very sex versus gender distinction that you invented. See, there was a time, perhaps, when you would have agreed that there is at least a biological difference between a woman who is female and a self-identified woman who is male. There's a time, maybe, when you as a gender ideologue would have agreed with that. But now, you yourself have erased the difference. Because you insist that trans women are women. You insist that they're exactly the same in every way. You've even changed the definition of female in at least one major dictionary to include men with the gender identity of female. So you treat both the term woman and the term female as interchangeable. They are both now gender identities according to you. 
if you did still affirm a definitional distinction between sex and gender, then you would have to also affirm that there is in this world a binary category of male and female, and that those who belong to one group cannot cross the chasm between the two. But you won't affirm any binary at all, or any substantive distinction at all between so-called trans women and women, which means that the whole gender versus sex thing was nothing but a sleight of hand trick. That's all it ever was. So if I'm hearing you right, the ideologues on that left, that wacko side as you've described them, um, they have confused and sort of conflated the idea of sex and gender to mean the same thing. What do you feel about the use of the term gender, and is it different from sex in your descriptions? Now, as for me, I have no use for the term gender, unless we're talking about the gender of words, which is where the term originates in the English language. I see only men and women, males and females. Each individual in either group has a different way of being and expressing themselves and understanding the world. That's true. But we don't need the word gender to describe that. We have a word for that. It's called personality. That's what personality is. So most of the people, when they're talking about their gender, what they're trying to describe is their personality. That's all it is. They say, well, you know, I wake up some days and I feel kind of like this and I have been, I'm in this kind of mood. That's your personality. That's just who you are today anyway. Now, I think that's a really critical uh, issue that you brought up. And, again, the left is very good at defining things. I think you've just defined this gender ideology or I, 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 um, I'm assuming I'm a male or a female or whatever um, personality I want to take on and call it my gender, that you properly assign this to that word personality. It is my personality. It's not my, my sex. My sex hasn't changed from when I was born, but my personality might put me in a different category where I'm a boy who likes to play with dolls or I'm a girl that likes to shoot guns and do masculine things, but that's my personality. And we have those across, and we always have across um, uh, sex lines, people with different personalities and interests, but that doesn't mean that their sex has changed, doesn't mean that they need to question themselves or feel isolated or put aside by society. That's just their personality. So I think it's important for our audience as they come across this in their lives or with their children or with their teachers or debates that they might have with colleagues about this whole uh, issue that seems to be exploding across the country, that they understand the language that you're speaking and the descriptions that you're putting forth. Um, so let's move on to um, the objection number two that you hear. Now, objection two. They'll say, you know, you say that women can get pregnant, but what about women who can't get pregnant, huh? Does the existence of uh, infertile women not clearly disprove your definition of the word? Answer, I did not say that every woman in the world can get pregnant. Obviously, that is not true. I said that women are of the nature to get pregnant, which is a different statement. It is natural for a woman to get pregnant. It is something that women can do and that no other sort of person can. In a similar way, I might describe a human being by saying, among other things, that he is a creature who walks on two legs. That's a valid thing to say about human beings, isn't it? Now, does that statement become invalid just because babies can't walk and some people have, you know, don't have two legs? Does the existence of amputees and infants call into question the notion that humans have two legs? 
If you were to describe, if you were asked to describe the human species to some alien from outer space, would you say humans have two legs? Or would you say, well, you see, humans can really have any number of legs? No, you wouldn't, because such a statement would bring to mind horrifying images of humans who look like centipedes or else like slither on the ground like slugs. You could be more specific in your description because it is true that humans have two legs unless accident or disease or deformity intervenes. The humans without two legs should have two legs, but they don't. The doctors can automatically know that a human who was born with only one leg has some sort of condition that left him in that state. They will run tests and they will figure out what the condition is. They will never say, well, you know, some humans have one leg. Legs are on a spectrum after all. No, the absence of the additional leg is a 100% confirmation that something has gone wrong because humans are meant to have two. So your example where humans have two legs uh, states an obvious truth, except in cases of disease or uh, accident or deformity. Um, and so the same is true uh, in the way you're stating about what a woman is. So it allows you to define a woman where very few people, even a Supreme Court justice um, that we now have sitting on the bench at the Supreme Court, couldn't define a woman uh, like you are defining it. And that's just absolutely mind-blowing. So, um, tell us more about how this relates to your definition of woman. Every female is of the nature to get pregnant. She is supposed to be able to get pregnant unless she is too old or else she suffers from some sort of ailment. What that means is that a woman who is, say, 28 years old and unable to get pregnant will go to the doctor, and the doctor will know that something is wrong, and he'll usually be able to tell her what is wrong, whether he can fix it or not, because a woman is supposed to be able to get pregnant, because she's a woman. On the other hand, if a man goes to the doctor and says that he's not able to get pregnant, the doctor will know that there is not something wrong with his body, but rather something wrong with his mind, that he would make the statement to begin with. At least the doctors used to know that. They don't really know that anymore. You know, in many ways, it's actually strange that we're even talking about this. But again, I hope our audience realizes that the real ramifications of this craziness that's going on in our society, because it's not just some one-off uh, small group of people that are making these outrageous claims or trying to change our language or trying to change our laws, trying to impact the uh, uh, the media out there, whether it's movies or TV programs or what's presented on your evening news. These are real issues and the craziness that you're hearing about um, is 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 just hard to even believe. But what's going on in our society is worth listening to and trying to be sure that you understand the language that's important of what others are saying, and then the language that you can clearly use uh, to defend your um, your your basic traditional values of uh, man and woman and male and female. So. Let's move on. What's the uh, what's the objection number three, if you will, Mr. Walsh? Objection three, they'll say, you know, trans people have existed throughout history and all over the world. The binary is a Western construct. This is a common rebuttal. It's also the dumbest damned thing I've ever heard. Um, you might as well say that photosynthesis or gravity are Western constructs. No, on the contrary, the rejection of the binary is a modern Western construct. Gender ideology was invented by old white guys in the middle of the 20th century. 
We know who those guys are. They wrote books. They made arguments. They abused children. Many of them were pedophiles. Everything the left says about gender, they have derived directly from a relatively small collection of degenerate creeps and wackos like uh, John Money and Alfred Kinsey. Okay, Mr. Walsh, let me jump in here just for a quick second and say you've now um, named some names, and I want to give more of a profile and explanation of these crazy, wacko, pedophile um, personalities that uh, existed to help push this along and then hopefully create an understanding of how and why this thing has become so pervasive. Uh, but in the meantime, let's take a quick commercial break uh, to finish up this segment. And we're going to come back. I'm going to tell our audience, stay with us. Uh, this is a fascinating topic about all this is developing uh, sort of almost uh, out of nowhere and affecting many of our lives and are, are certainly we can see it most evidently in our sports programs where female athletes are having to compete against trans, which are really males. So stick with us. We'll be right back if, after this commercial break. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right, and you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is the third segment, and today we are talking with Matt Walsh, who has been on the forefront of kind of debunking and arguing against and defeating in debates the whole idea of this uh, gender inclusion, gender equity, uh, gender identity, all those crazy things that are being taught to our children in school today in so many areas of this country. And in the last segment, uh, Mr. Walsh identified a couple of people who have been um, developing these concepts and these ideas that have been themselves um, uh, crazy loons out on the far left. They've been pedophiles and and uh, pornographers. And that is two people called uh, Money and and Kinsey were two of the people who kind of put forward some of these crazy ideas that gender identity is the is what people really are as opposed to what their um, uh, their sex was at birth and that they can uh, be fluid going back and forth defining themselves however they want and their reality is what really ought to count and the rest of us ought to respond to their reality even if it's not truth. So let's go back to... Uh, Mr. Walsh, and uh, try to describe a little bit more about what was going on with these two individuals and some of their crazy ideas. We can trace their ideas back to their roots. We don't have to go very deep. The idea that men are male and women are female and the two categories are immutable and cannot be changed, that traces all the way back to the dawn of human civilization. That has never been, there has never been a culture before ours that believed that men could have babies. 
Never. That has never existed. Such madness is uniquely modern. Nobody before us was stupid enough to believe something like that. It took the most educated and technologically advanced civilization in history to come up with fantastic bullshit like that. You say we're the first um, culture ever to uh, make these claims about sexuality and gender identity, but the other side will say that there have been cultures or have been civilizations that have fostered these same ideas. What is your response to that kind of an argument? What I'm saying right now may not comport with some of the claims that you have heard. You've probably heard about many cultures through history and around the globe who have uh, more expansive ideas about gender. The people telling you this are lying. Take it from me. I have actually traveled outside of the Western world and talked to people about this issue. I can guarantee that almost every leftist claiming otherwise has never done that. I have. So, Mr. Walsh, how or why do you think that they are confused about other cultures and the history that they may be looking at versus uh, what you've seen. And here's where the confusion arises, I think. There are other cultures in the world where in some circumstances a man may play the role of a woman. Okay, There are places where, for one reason or another, a man may dress as a woman or play the part of a woman. But none of these cultures believe that the man actually is a woman. Outside of the West and Western influence, you will not hear of a pregnant man anywhere. What about the claim that there was some sort of a Native American culture that used something called two-spirit that they say is uh, an example of how it's natural in history for uh, males and females to be swapping roles and swapping identities? So you'll hear a claim, for example, that Native American cultures have something called two-spirit. They've added this now to the LGBT thing. They've got two-spirit. They say that this is uh, this was the indigenous version of transgenderism. That label was invented by gay activists in 1990. And even then, it obviously describes something spiritual and religious. It doesn't describe a physical male who is actually literally a woman. Well, Mr. Walsh, the trans uh, community would say that there have been trans people in the kinds of numbers or percentages uh, that are supposedly occurring today, but in the past they just weren't affirmed. They weren't um, uh, allowed to you know, be shown in public. It was all hidden behind uh, closed doors, and people suppressed their feelings because uh, they couldn't be affirmed or they were being discriminated against. How do you respond uh, to uh, that kind of a comment that what we're seeing today in the explosion of the numbers and the people coming out, the activists in the trans community, is just a reflection of the numbers that have always been there but have never uh, never been exposed to the public like they are today. If trans people existed in such large numbers through history, as we're told, and yet we're not affirmed, right, we're not able to live their truth openly, this is what we're told, this is what they claim, because... Trans identification has skyrocketed recently, and they say, that's not really skyrocketing, it's not a social contagion, it's always been this high, it's just that the trans people weren't able to live out in the open because they were not being affirmed. Okay, well, if that's the case, then according to the left, that should mean that a great many of these unaffirmed trans people, historically, would have killed themselves. 
Okay, this is, after all, the emotional blackmail they constantly use to force us to affirm transgenderism. They assist, they insist that a lack of affirmation leads directly to suicide. And so here's my question. If through history there have been hundreds of millions of unaffirmed trans people, maybe even billions, should there not have been a constant, staggering, tragic epidemic the whole world over of people killing themselves in mass every year, everywhere? Shouldn't children through history have been killing themselves by the thousands every year? But that's not what happened. That's not what we observed. Go back even a few decades and childhood suicide almost didn't exist. It was unheard of. No, the childhood suicide epidemic is now in correlation with the rise in trans affirmation because trans affirmation causes suicide, not the other way around. That's an interesting analysis because that is one of the major points of this uh, societal acceptance and recognition, affirmation of the trans community, even though it's a very small, minor part of our society, they need to be affirmed because if we don't affirm them, then they will commit suicide. So basically, we are guilty of of creating deaths in the trans community by not affirming and recognizing them. Interesting argument. Well, I think it's time to move on to the item number four that you mentioned, uh, some of the arguments about the trans community or how we combated by using logic and truth uh, behind the argument. So tell us about uh, number four. Objection four, finally. Why do you care so much? Can't you just leave people alone and uh, let them be? Answer, that's not a rebuttal to my argument, first of all. That's more of an intellectual surrender as soon as you start saying that. Also, why are you asking me why I care? You are the one who insists that we should care deeply about trans and LGBT issues. You literally throw parades announcing your sexuality and gender identity to the world. You have flags, for God's sake. You can't put something on a flag and then ask me why I care about it. You put it on a flag. I mean, you won't shut up about it. Why do I care? You want me to care. You demand that I care. You won't allow me to not care. It's just that you want me to care in the way that you have determined and arrive at the conclusions that you have pre-approved. You don't have a problem with the fact that I care. You have a problem with the conclusions that I have drawn. And you are too cowardly and too shallow to debate the conclusions. So instead you pretend that you just want to mind your own business, even though you were just 10 seconds ago dancing in the street in leather bondage gear and screaming about your lifestyle choices into a megaphone at a bunch of frightened children. Okay, so Matt Walsh, why is it that you care? A lot of people just think, well, live and let live. If they want to go and do their crazy thing, let them go. They can have their praise. They can have their flag. Um, why do you care so much about dealing with this issue and taking the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that come your way from your position on the LBTQ uh, agenda? I care because the truth matters. It matters more than your ideology. It matters more than your preferences. It matters more than your self-identification. It matters more than your feelings. The truth matters more than anything. It matters more than your life. 
and more than mine. So if, if, if my speaking truth really did put your life at risk, as you claim, I would still speak it. It's worth the cost. I'd speak it if it put my own life at risk. And according to the death threats I get every day, it does. Life can have no meaning. Nothing can have meaning apart from truth. There is nothing to fight for except for truth. Nothing to live for except for truth. There is no love without truth. There's no joy without truth. There's no beauty without truth. There's no freedom without truth. There's nothing worth anything without truth. And that's why I won't give it up for your sake. Or anyone else's. Ever. I care because I care about the truth. And you should care about it too. So the question we really ought to be asking then is not why do I care about the truth? It's why don't you? Mr. Walsh, let me kind of wrap up this segment with um, a couple of questions. One is um, the societal decadence, some would call it, the downward slope of accepting uh, aberrant behaviors that we considered in the past to be um, really psychological problems. Now we're trying to become mainstream acceptance as normalcy. How do we um, change this downward spiral that we're in? How do we how do we get back to sort of the normal um, customs and understandings and provide psychological help to people who just don't want to accept the truth but want to impose uh, their fantasies on us? We talk about slippery slope, and that makes it seem like there's this logical progression or regression where one thing happens, and then we like one thing, and then we get the crazier thing, and the crazier thing, and crazier thing all the way down the hill. But that's actually not the way it has worked. We've, we've actually skipped over a lot of steps and gone to the craziest possible versions of things. Well, it seems like the movements that have been going on around these areas have been going on for a long time. We're just sort of recognizing them. From your research, what's, what's the, uh, the core of this? Why has this gone on for so long? And is there anything that uh, conservatives, uh, traditionalists should be doing to try to counter this in any way? Uh, it has been, as conservatives will often describe, it's just been a string of failures for for decades. And the reason for that is it's a generational struggle. And we lost this fight. We did lose it, and we lost it generations ago. Um, and, uh, you know, in the we talked about Alfred Kinsey and John Money, for example. They, were, they came up with these ideas back in the mid-20th century. And uh, over time, over decades, these ideas were seeded into our institutions until they finally sort of poured out into the mainstream like a, like a broken sewage pipe. Um, and we saw a big movement in that direction just five or six years ago, which is why people mistakenly think that a lot of this stuff started five or six years ago when it really didn't. Well, Mr. Walsh, that's the second time or at least that you have mentioned um, Kinsey and money. I want to come back to that and understand who these people are and how all this got started uh, many decades ago, a century ago, and is now sort of coming out into the mainstream. How does that happen? And how does such perverse ideas that would never have been accepted universally uh, decades ago, even or a decade ago, um, now has become almost mainstream? So let's take a quick commercial break. And I want to come back. And I hope, again, our audience is enjoying this conversation, understanding about the LBGTQ um, population and uh, what we need to really recognize to sort of halt this uh, societal decadence. 
It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the final segment of Healthcare Insight. You're on America's Web Radio, and today we are talking about gender identity and all the craziness that's going on in our schools, in our society, how this is being foisted on us. Uh, the fantasy that somebody might have that they now identify as a woman or a woman identifying as a man, and we're supposed to accept this even though uh, in the trans community, uh, the people who identify now as a as a female still has genital parts, and we can see the, uh, the differences in areas of competition, particularly sports, has been a big issue in the last number of months about basically men competing against women and we're likely to have no women's sports. So we're forced to accept, and laws are being passed to provide special protection uh, for the trans community. And in countries like Canada, it is now illegal, and you can be jailed or fined for using the wrong pronouns against somebody when they change their identity. Let's back up to where all this started. So um, Walsh has... Uh, contacted a renowned psychologist that he interviews, and I want to bring forth her thoughts and comments around how all this started and how uh, damaging it is to our children and to our society. So, um, doctor, give us your thoughts as to how all this started. So I'll answer that with one word, Kinsey. Kinsey was a social reformer. He wanted to rid society of Judeo-Christian values when it came to sexuality. 
And he worked very hard to do that, and I would say he succeeded. Let's go back to Matt Walsh for a second. Uh, Matt, you have done a lot of research on Kinsey. Uh, give our audience uh, your research findings on this man. Kinsey would be very happy with our culture today. His idea was that children are sexual from birth, that we're all inherently sexual creatures from cradle to grave. He believed that true happiness is found in a life of perverse sexual experimentation, no matter the age. Well, Mr. Walsh, give us your perspective then, because I know you've looked at some of the background, some of the studies as well, and the, um, the, uh, uh, the, the studies seem to have been very fraudulent. But what's your, what's your take on it? Kinsey based his fraudulent conclusions on data he collected from convicted sex offenders and child molesters. His research was conducted in prisons, not everyday America. He also performed horrific sexual experiments on children, some under the age of one. His most influential book, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male, contains an infamous chart called Table 34, which documents the orgasms of very young kids, including babies as young as five months old. But instead of suffering the consequences for his heinous actions, he was and still is celebrated by academia and Hollywood. His ideas form the foundation for sexual education in public schools today. Okay, so let's go back to the Ph.D. psychologist expert uh, that we're interweaving in this discussion and um, ask the question, how did we get from Kinsey, which you just described the abnormalities of him and his false studies, but how do we get to, from there to where we can just choose our own our own sex, our own gender identity? Okay, well, now we have another very important character, and his name was John Money. John Money was a psychologist and professor at Johns Hopkins University. Gender ideology was his brainchild. In fact, he coined the terms gender identity and gender roles. And according to Money, babies are gender neutral at birth. And ultimately, environment determines whether a person is a man or a woman. Money was telling the world about his theory that a boy could be raised as a girl and do just fine, and vice versa. Let me ask both uh, the doctor and um, Mr. Walsh, did um, did money actually try to carry out any exper- experiments on children to sort of prove his theory? And so money tried out his theory on two young twin boys, the Reimer twins. When the twins were eight months old and they went to be circumcised, the first twin, whose name was Bruce, um, something went wrong with the machinery and his penis was burnt off. They stopped and didn't do a second circumcision on the other twin, as you might imagine. And the parents, of course, didn't know what to do. How are they gonna raise this child? Given John Money's uh, crazy uh, ideology and theory, I can only imagine what he tried to do with these twins. So, um, but go ahead and tell us what, um, what he told the parents to do. John Money convinced Bruce's parents to transition him into a girl. Money also conducted sexually abusive experiments on the twins throughout their childhood, including forcing them to simulate sex acts on each other. He reported up to the age of 10 that this was a complete success. Well, wasn't true. The results were a disaster. Bruce could never fully accept his female identity. Eventually, his parents told him the truth, and he chose to transition back to a boy, taking the name David. As an adult, David spoke out about the abuse and the damage done to him by John Money. 
Well, since we know who the individuals were and that the experiment was a failure, didn't prove that uh, children are born with no sex, and it just comes about from uh, social uh, pressures one way or the other. Uh, let's hear directly from David, the child that was uh, had his um, uh, private parts burned off. What did he have to say about this when he got old enough to understand and know what had happened? The girls would do their things with their Barbies and things like that, and mm. that wouldn't interest me. Mm-hmm. And uh, things such as trucks and uh, building forts and, uh, you know, getting to the odd fist fight and mm-hmm. climbing trees. That's the kind of stuff that I like, but it was unacceptable. So I'd never... As a girl. As, as a girl, I had no place to, to fit in. So we know directly from David's comments, he never accepted that he was a girl. He didn't feel like a girl. He knew he was a boy. He acted like a boy. He had beliefs and wanted to do things like a boy and not like a girl that he was supposedly uh, brought up as. So Every experiment has got an outcome. What was the final outcome for these two brothers and the effects of the trauma that they both experienced? The trauma that he and his brother and his entire family went through left deep scars. His brother died of an overdose uh, when he was 38, and then David died, committed suicide. Well, since Money's theory were totally discounted and disproven, with this one experiment that he put through. Surely he apologized, retracted, and recanted on his theories. Um, what, what actually happened after this experiment failed? There was never a retraction or an apology from John Money. Instead, his ideas were adopted by mainstream psychology, and they form the basis of gender ideology today. Well, let's go back to the doctor of psychology. Why don't more people know about Kinsey and John Money and their background and uh, how nothing that they said really made any sense or was ever proven. Evidently, there are forces that don't want this information out. Well, that's not a very detailed answer, so let's kind of move on. Let's talk to an actual trans person, a, a biological uh, female that transitioned into male, and let's get some of his, her comments about the effect it's had on his or her life, whichever pronoun you want to use. I'm a biological woman that medically transitioned to appear like a male through synthetic hormones and surgery. I will never be a man. Is it transphobic for me to tell the truth? Why is it that a couple hundred years from now, if you dug up my body, they're going to go, yep, that was a woman, had babies. I'll just call this person who's now giving us their background as a trans uh, a trans male. Um, tell us about the procedures that you had to go through. I've had seven surgeries. I've had one stress heart attack. I've had a helicopter life ride uh, with pulmonary embolism. I've had uh, 17 rounds of antibiotics. I had six inches of hair on the inside of my urethra for 17 months. Nobody would help me, including the doctor that did this to me because I lost my insurance. I get infections every three to four months. I'm probably not going to live very long. Did anyone ever tell you about the risks or the side effects of this transition surgery? Did the doctors help you in any way? No, there's not. And I know that people want to think that there is, but there's not. The truth is, is that medical transition is experimental. We have um, studies that said... 
that medical transition helps mental health, helps mental health with kids. They've all been retracted, modified, changed. But the only long-term study tells us seven to ten years is when transgender people are the most suicidal. After? After surgery. But that's transphobic to say. So to continue our discussion with uh, John Doe, our our trans uh, male, um, why do you think that this procedure, these um, services that are provided to transition people, why do you think that they continue knowing what we know today about the dangers of it? For the first time in history, a marginalized group has a huge dollar sign on the top of their head. We have five children's hospitals in the United States telling girls that they can be boys at $70,000 a pop in a surgery that has a 67% complication rate. That will kill me from infection that I can't sue on. We're butchering a generation of children because nobody's willing to talk about anything. This is wrong on so many levels. Now let's go back to one of the doctors actually does these procedures in one of these major hospitals and ask her how young uh, is the youngest person you've done this kind of a trans uh, procedure on? The youngest patient I've done vaginoplasty on um, is age 16. Well, let's try to get into the mindset of doctors who do this kind of mutilation on children. Ask her, do you worry that people at that young age really don't understand this life-changing surgery that you're performing and the dangers that might occur from it? Are they just too young to make these independent decisions without their parents? Absolutely not. In most of the interviews that I've seen around this issue with doctors that are performing this or psychologists are advocating, that's about as long an answer as you'll get. They really don't want to get into an argument or dispute because they know they'd be on the wrong side. So let's go back to a doctor who thinks the opposite, that these are terrible things to do to any patient and get her perspective on why this shouldn't be done. A young person's self-perception One day they may be clear, the next day they may be totally confused and not sure, and you're affirming it with hormones that have never been used in this way in the the field of medicine. Blockers and then opposite sex hormones. Well, audience, there you have it. The arguments on both sides, uh, hearing directly from people who are uh, as doctors advocating for these types of procedures and doctors that are saying they are dangerous, psychologists saying kids should make the choices, they're ready, and psychologists saying, no, they live in fantasy worlds, they really can't make life-determining decisions. We've also interviewed a trans person who talked about the horrors of it, how it can't be reversed, and they've made a lifelong decision they regret. You now have to listen to these arguments and deal with them in a public arena for your own children to be properly educated, for yourself to be educated, to explain to the children who might be thinking along these lines that uh, children just don't really have the ability to deal uh, when they still uh, have fantasies about where they might want to go and don't have adult decision-making capabilities. So learn about this from this type of a podcast and these kinds of individuals giving you the information that they have. And 
discover for yourself. If you're in the middle of trying to figure this out, this hopefully is information for you to um, um, add to the um, sources that you're otherwise looking at. So let's uh, finish up this week then and uh, go to um, a final commercial here, and I hope you will join us again next week for a program that we put on here at America's Web Radio talking about all sorts of social and political issues. See you next week. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.